Welcome to the Apologia Podcast, the audio-only archive of the Apologia YouTube channel. Note that some content was designed to go with visuals, but the imagination can be a powerful thing. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it a 5-star rating on the podcast app you're using now to help us reach more people. Or, since this endeavor is ad-free, consider going a step further and supporting us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash apologia. But for now, let's get to the episode. Part of the Apologetic series, posted July 7, 2020, titled, The Absurdity of Life Without God, Response to William Lane Craig. Today, Dr. William Lane Craig presses with life's big questions. Who am I? 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 Why am I here? 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 And why am I here? Where am I going? 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 Where am I gonna go? As an atheistic mantra. Well, let's get on with it. Well, let's get on with it. Welcome to Apologia, where a former Christian takes a look at the claims of Christians. If you're new to the channel, please take a second to tap on the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when new science, theology, and news videos come out. And we've recently launched an audio-only edition that you can find wherever the finest podcasts are gathered. In the name of progress, modern man has tried to answer those questions without reference to God. I spent most of my Christian life in music ministry. I also have a background in the movie industry. When someone's message is accompanied by a music track, that's an attempt to make you feel a certain way about what they're saying. Music can make words ominous or joyous. Pastors I would work with would request certain progressions of music for altar calls. Knowing how the emotions stirred would help manipulate the listeners to the desired result. Dr. Craig doesn't usually have music in his intellectual argument videos. He wants this one to make you feel a certain way rather than to think your way to an intellectual conclusion. But the answers that came back were not exhilarating, but dark and terrible. If I may also attempt to emotionally manipulate you, one day I returned to my doctor's office for routine follow-up on a minor procedure, and my doctor refused to look me in the eye as his whole body shook, as he informed me that I had a rare and aggressive cancer and that my treatment had to start immediately if there was to be any attempt to save my life. Those answers that came back were not exhilarating, but dark and terrible. And yet they were true. For me to live my best life, I had to accept them, whether I liked them or not. The appeal from consequences, or argumentum ad consequentium, is when one argues that X is true, because if people did not accept X as being true, then there would be negative consequences. It is a fallacy. Everyone wishes that something or another would be different about the world. Maybe discrimination, or violence, or perceived injustices, or even just the health impact of eating only junk food. Staring reality in the face is often difficult, but merely wishing reality away is not a path to improvement or change. It's sticking your head in the sand. You are the accidental byproduct of nature. 
There is no reason for your existence. That depends on what you mean by reason. There was a causal chain of factors that led to the point where I exist. That none of the individual factors down the chain had any intention that I would exist doesn't change the fact that I was a result. These factors were the reason I exist. But I suspect Dr. Craig means purpose in some sense. I'm sure we'll get to it. All you face is death. And taxes. And my next breath. My next meal. My next laugh. My next hug from a loved one. Even my next challenge. Next pain. Next obstacle. Yes, we all face death. But death is not all we face. Modern man thought that in killing God, he had freed himself from everything that repressed and stifled him. Instead, he discovered that in killing God, he had unwittingly killed himself. Despite the hyperbolic phrasing of a Time magazine cover from before I was born, those who don't believe in God, who find insufficient evidence to affirm his existence, are no more attempting to kill God than they might be trying to kill Darth Vader. Voldemort, Lex Luthor, or Sauron. However, freeing oneself from the constraints of religion, the guilt, the shame, the impossible expectations, the self-denigration, the groupthink, and on and on, is very liberating and refreshing indeed. But what is this costly price of which Dr. Craig speaks? For if God does not exist, man's life is ultimately absurd. The first use of the adjective ultimately, though far from the last, the philosophy that life is ultimately meaningless, is known as nihilism. This view has downsides, to be sure. But strangely, Christians like Craig hold some kind of mirror universe anti-nihilism, a view where all life, all events, every collision of Every molecule is ultimately meaningful in some ultimate sense. One extreme or the other. Black or white. No. The universe is messy. Gray. Not black and white. Life is a spectrum. An experience needn't be some ultimate joy to be joyful. A disappointment needn't be the ultimate defeat in order to be disappointing. Whatever means most to me is the thing that means most to me. That some hypothetical external force might have some other perspective doesn't actually change my priorities. If God does not exist, then man and the universe are inevitably doomed to death. I mean, even if the Christian God exists, everyone is doomed to death, right? Hebrews 9.27 just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment? Like all biological organisms, man must die. His life is but a spark in the infinite darkness, a spark that appears, flickers, and then dies forever. That is correct, but that a spark fades doesn't mean it didn't glow. Scientists tell us that the universe is expanding, and as it does so, it grows colder and colder. Eventually, there will be no heat at all. There will be no light. There will be no life. This is not science fiction. If God does not exist, then we are inevitably doomed to extinction. The death of the universe is trillions of years from now, given how unwilling the human species seems to be 
to take simple precautions to prevent spread of disease or make simple lifestyle changes to prevent ecological disaster, our extinction timeline is probably much shorter than that. I think it's safe to say there won't be any people around catching the last moments of the universe. Now what does all this imply? It means that life itself is absurd. It means that the life we do have is ultimately without meaning, value, or purpose. Again, not ultimately meaningful, ultimately valuable, or ultimately purposeful. Doesn't imply without meaning, without value, or without purpose. That something lasts forever doesn't make it valuable. It makes it less valuable. Scarcity and rarity are things that make something valuable. If diamonds were as plentiful as gravel, we wouldn't put them in a protected vault or use them as symbols of love. If each individual person passes out of existence when he dies, what ultimate significance can be assigned to his life? His life might be important relative to certain other events, but if all of the events are ultimately meaningless, what can be the ultimate significance of influencing any of them? What we do in this finite life affects the lives of those around us, for better or for worse. If we live forever, then both the worst and best thing to happen here is entirely trivial and barely worth thinking about in light of eternity. However, if this is indeed the one and only life that we get, then each moment of harm and each moment of kindness play a huge role in the very few moments that we have. It is Dr. Craig's notion of infinite existence that strip the events of this life of any ultimate meaning. Mankind is thus no more ultimately significant than a swarm of mosquitoes, for their end is all the same. How short-sighted and ridiculous to base the significance of something on whether it ends. The significance of something is determined entirely by the effect it has while it does exist. For if life ends at the grave, it makes no ultimate difference whether you live as Joseph Stalin or as a Mother Teresa. Kudos on using Stalin rather than that other famous dictator for a change. Variety is nice. But Dr. Craig should maybe try to find a new example that we're presumably supposed to think of as a good person. She's better than Stalin, but the real Mother Teresa was no Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa believed that contraception was the moral equivalent of abortion, and abortion was the moral equivalent of murder. Mother Teresa took heaps of money from the Duvalier family in Haiti, who probably gave the poor as hard a time as the poor have ever got, even the poorest of the poor. And then she says, poverty is a gift from God. Suffering is a gift from God. Leprosy is a gift from God. The death of your child is because God loves the child and expects people to sit still for it. Well, not this reviewer. In a universe of justice, she has some suffering to answer for. Dr. Craig's play to emotion is strong here. It makes us angry when someone escapes punishment because our desire for revenge is left unsatisfied or hopeful that the person who faced hardships in this life should be rewarded in the next one. But the universe does not change its nature because we wish it to be so. And a God that forgives upon a deathbed conversion is already circumventing this justice we might feel that we are owed our instincts about justice includes proportional response. We don't dish out infinite punishment for finite crimes. 
If your destiny is ultimately unrelated to your behavior, then you may as well just live as you please. What Dr. Craig proposes is the most selfish possible way to live. To be kind only for reward and to forego cruelty only to avoid punishment? Such a person is not to be praised. How much more noble to have empathy, to use one's one and only life to better the one and only life of another, or at least not make it worse. And, of course, this isn't inconsistent with the selfish. When we treat others as they want to be treated, it is more likely that we ourselves will be treated as we wish. We are a social species. Such behavior is our survival advantage. Moral values are either just expressions of personal taste or else the byproducts of biological evolution and social conditioning. Since our observation makes it clear that every individual person has their own unique take on moral values, it's safe to say that yes, like in all aspects of our personalities, our morality is shaped by our genetics and our environment, nature and nurture. Dr. Craig may have an instinct that it be otherwise, but he cannot demonstrate that it is otherwise. It's counter to our experience. Who's to say whose values are right and whose are wrong? It always comes down to this. The great wish of the Christian. Some universal tiebreaker authority to whom they can appeal for automatic victory in any dispute. To literally end all discussion with, because my daddy said so. This may settle the matter in the mind of the Christian, but such a cosmic mediator has no impact upon those who do not recognize the authority. If my values and your values are at odds, it is up to me to find some scrap of common ground from which I can try to convince you that my path is the best way to achieve what we both want, or for you to do the same to persuade me. In the end, if we can't persuade each other, perhaps I can coerce your compliance, or you can coerce mine. But that compliance is not the same at arriving at shared values. The difference remains. The objection remains. Apologists like Craig try to scare us with might-makes-right morality, all the while appealing to the mightiest being of all as some kind of ultimate enforcer to step in when their moral arguments are unpersuasive. Apparently, God's might makes right. Now think of what that means. It means that it is impossible to condemn war, oppression, or crime as evil. Evil is not a noun. Evil is the label we give to the events, actions, and behaviors that we personally object to most. Condemnation? is merely to express this same preference. There need be no outside standard for me to prefer that which I prefer. The genetic difference from one human to another is minuscule, and we live in common societies. So that we tend to have common preferences and aversions is no supernatural mystery. It is as mundane as cats who like meat, or trees that like sunlight. To kill someone or to love someone is morally equivalent. I prefer to be loved than to be murdered. And assume you prefer the same until you tell me otherwise. 
no ultimate authority is needed to rank these preferences. Our predicament is that it is impossible to live consistently and happily with such a worldview. Impossible is a tricky claim. Very difficult to demonstrate impossibility without some kind of clear logical contradiction. But Dr. Craig is not even attempting logical arguments today. Today is appeal to emotion. And happiness? Few concepts are as subjective and non-concrete as happiness. Yet, the United Nations 2019 World Happiness Report shows us that the countries that self-report the most happiness include Finland, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, and New Zealand. The same countries who self-report belief in a god as having the least influence in their lives. This no-god worldview seems quite happy when not burdened with the theistic expectations of families and neighbors. The atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell held that moral values are simply expressions of personal taste. And yet Russell admitted that he could not live that way. He therefore found his own worldview, and I quote, incredible. I do not know the solution, he confessed. That sounds like a powerful quote. It's from a letter to the editor of The Observer magazine, in which Russell is responding to a reviewer, who in turn was responding to Russell's book. Sounds a little like my video responding to Dr. Craig's response to my response to a Dr. Craig video on the resurrection. The internet hasn't really changed us that much. At the end of this letter, while Russell indeed paints his views as incredible, seemingly in the sense of surprising or astonishing, he nevertheless defends them as argumentatively irrefutable. That's the theme we're dealing with today. Russell is accepting what he knows to be true, even though it's not his preference. On the other hand, Dr. Craig seems to be advocating that we first determine our preference and then select as true that which affirms our wishes. This is not how reality works, how truth works. All things being equal, the person who draws a conclusion counter to their wishes has likely done more rigorous research than the person whose conclusion happens to match what they wanted in the first place. If death stands with open arms at the end of life's trail, then what is the goal of life? Biologically, the goal of life is to reproduce. But as the human species is no longer in a struggle to survive, we've been able to enjoy secondary pursuits even to the extent where a choice not to reproduce can be a noble one. Our life goals are our own. They're not predetermined by our fathers, biological or spiritual. This is liberation, not helplessness. Is there no reason for life? If its destiny is a cold death in the recesses of outer space, then the answer is yes. It is pointless. No one watching this video in the 21st century will meet their end because of the heat death of the universe. We have epochs of time until then. Your favorite restaurant will likely go out of business someday in the future, but that doesn't make today's meal there pointless. We need to wake up and understand the gravity of the alternatives before us. The gravity of alternatives says nothing at all about the truth of the alternatives. We need to wake up and stop living by what we wish, and rather, live by what really is. 
if God exists, then there is hope for man. And if the Christian God exists, then there's no end for man. There's either an eternity of torment or an eternity of servitude. No hope for change, no hope for release. But if God does not exist, then all we are left with is despair. Whether there is a God or not, whether this God has a plan for you or not, we are left with more than despair. We're left with a life, the one life we know we get, regardless of what the unknown after may hold. One life we know we have to use as we choose. The only despair is to live that one life according to someone else's agenda, someone else's plan, someone else's purpose. That is despair. Faced with an atheistic worldview, the philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre realized that life is absurd. In his play, No Exit, he tragically portrayed the life of man as hell. No, Dr. Craig. In the play No Exit, the three main characters are already dead when the play begins. Spoilers, I guess. In the play Life Wasn't Hell, the afterlife was hell. In fact, this play is the source of the famous quote, hell is other people. The final words of the play might serve as an atheistic mantra. Well, let's get on with it. It might. Maybe there's another life waiting, but the one we know we have is this one. Don't waste time wishing for what we can't know. Live your life starting right now. What are you waiting for? Let's get on with it. <laughs>